Welcome to the Layer of Secrets podcast, the podcast about gaming and being a beat. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Great start. <laughs> Welcome to the Layer of Secrets podcast, the podcast about gaming and being a geek by two middle-aged geek dads. I'm David Moore, and I've been stuck inside due to snow and ice for the last few days. And I'm Ken Newquist, and I'm still working on my scum and villainy homework. Really, Dave. Really, <laughs> I am. I'm almost done. Just a little bit more reading to do. And, two days. And I'm done. Two days till the game. <laughs> two days. Two days. I don't need to sleep. It's okay. <laughs> Today, we've got a guest coming all the way from Las Vegas, Nevada. We have Jerry Grayson, game designer extraordinaire. Uh, he's a, been a friend of mine for a while. Uh, and uh, actually, I think the very first game I got from you was Godsend Agenda. And so you currently have a Kickstarter out for a new version of Godsend Agenda. Uh, I do. And uh, I'm gonna. I'm planning one also for some doo doo snow, because uh, I need to bottle that. What is doo doo snow? <laughs> I don't know what doo doo snow is. I love it. I'll write that down. <laughs> do oh do two snow do two snow do two. oh no. yeah. This goes back See, to our earlier conversation of closed Chester drawers. Do do snow. I'm making. That's the worst place to be stuck. Oh, uh, don't don't lick the yellow snow and don't All right. don't eat don't get stuck with snow, the doo snow. That's just bad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm seriously writing that one down because it's going someplace. Yeah, yeah. Doo doo snow. <laughs> so, uh, Godsend Agenda is a game of superheroes and a conspiracy of alien aliens who pose as deities, but. You can probably give a much better description of it than I can. Let's see. Um, well, the elevator pitch for uh, Godson Agenda is basically it's a superheroic game of postmodern mythology. So that's the the uh, the elevator pitch, which doesn't really tell you anything. It just kind of throws some words out there, and you're like, "Ooh, that sounds cool." Tell me more. But um, basically, <laughs> it's a it's a game where you play uh, an empowered or super empowered. Uh, uh, you know, person, and um, you are trying to basically change the world for like the better or the worse, depending on you know how your characters uh, you know, decide they uh, want to change the world. Um, deals a lot with mythology, uh, can be played in a lot of different time settings. Uh, right now, we're working on the different uh, epochs that the game can be played in, so you know, you could play it in you know, 1452 BC, you know, during the age of heroes or. You know, during the, um, you know, in the 500 ADs during the age of like Arthur or, you know, nice. the Phantom Time is six, 666 AD, um, which is, you know, the Phantom Time, which is actually super interesting. So, you know, go out there and Google that one because it's really crazy. Um, or, you know, any time in between those. Um, I have never heard of that, the, but I will definitely be Googling it. I will do, be Googling well, it. So <laughs> basically, it's, um, I can't remember the name of the, the person who suggested it, but they say that there is a lost period of time in our calendar so that we're not actually in the year 2000, you know, uh, in the year, you know, 2022. Um, it's actually. Um, oh, gosh, what are we we're like in 1700s because of this time period that we've lost that to make things. It's really convoluted and kind of goofy, like when you read deep into it, but it's really cool for like gaming. It's basically like, you know, there's this time period that, um, you know, we've completely wiped out of existence 
um, because we want our calendars to go, you know, to a thousand AD when we want a thousand AD, gotcha. so that we can say the apocalypse is coming. But really, we're missing like I think it's three hundred years supposedly, or something like that. I mean, it sounds actually, perfect really to like sit Conan right in that time period. <laughs> well, that is the Phantom Time. The Phantom yep. Time is that time period where things get really weird, and then they go back to normal. So you know, <laughs> a few hundred years where things get weird. And then at, you know, the turn of the millennium, 1000 AD, things are normal again. So phantom time. Gotcha. So there's that time period you can play in, um, you know, the, the Renaissance, all that stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of different time periods. You I, can don't, play this I don't remember that in the original book. Was that, were those no. in the, yeah, okay. So this is new. So that's cool. Yeah. The, basically, with God's an Agenda, there's been three editions of it. There was the first edition released in 2002. So in 2002, that's when I released my first role-playing. That's when, you know, baby's first role-playing game. That's when that one came out. Um, and uh, that kind of kicked off me doing publishing and stuff. Uh, that one, you know, was received okay. Then the one that I uh, introduced to you was the D6 version yep. uh, that out, I believe in 2006, somewhere around there. Uh, and then, you know, from there, um, funny enough, on um, were you on that Slack? Uh, yeah, you were on that Slack, the one where we showed all the pictures from that convention in 2007 yep. or 8? Yeah, or I think like that, that. Was, that was either the convention I met you at or the one right before it. Yeah, and in that one, that was a really good year at Gen Con. And, uh, after that, that's when we decided to do Hellas, World of Sun and Stone. And uh, after that one took off, then we did, you know, Atlantis, the Second Age and stuff like that. But Godson Agenda has been the one that I've always wanted to come back to, but then other stuff would jump in the way up. So, yep. you know, yeah. a few years ago, it was 7C, then it was Orun, and a few other, like, little mercenary projects that I did. But always on the back burner was Godson Agenda. Bastion and, and Terra Oblivion. Yes. Then there was, you know, Mythic D6, which came yep. out. And uh, and that one was just, I just had so many documents just laying around. I was like, eh, I might as well <laughs> just publish it. And that's kind of how it is. It's like, I'll work on something and I'll get it done. And then I'll just put it away because I'm still working on this thing and I need to focus. So, you know, that's kind of like, you know, God's an agenda, you know, like uh, I'm working on 7C. but I'm writing notes for Godson Agenda. You know, I'm working on, you know, Method D6. So I will write some notes for Godson Agenda. <laughs> and, um, you know, and even with Method D6, I mean, that one, I had that thing written pretty much in actually kind of around the time that Hellas came out because that was the original system I was going to use for Hellas. Gotcha. So, you know, what was that, 2008? I can't even remember. Yeah, but, second edition, this book, the. Second edition God's End Agenda is uh, KPH 003 and yep. was 2005, according yeah. to the inside cover. So, yeah, and that's if I got the date right because uh, I'm in a <laughs> weird, funky temple feud things together. But yeah, it's you know, but this one is the edition where I believe I have the tools and the language to actually convey what I originally wanted from the God's End Agenda. And, um, that is a viable system for changing the world, a viable system for um, how you, you know, 
create your character and how you know you manifest that character in the game and how the game works around those characters as opposed to just tacking on a system onto this and just kind of making a Frankenstein, which is um, sometimes what, you know, you do, you know, when you make a game, um, you know, hell, I've played in those games and I've bought them where, like, you can tell there was really no forethought going on into how this system would engage with this, you know, this game or milieu of, uh, you know, this game world. But this one I've tried to craft so that if you tried to play anything but God's and Agenda with the God's and Agenda, it would be such a struggle. You might as well just go out and buy a game, a, a different game to play, you know. Gotcha. I have to say, I love the, I was looking on the Kickstarter page because uh, I am not as familiar with God's and Agenda as David is, but um, I loved your the, the the equation you have on the Kickstarter page for the the inspiration for it of Jack Kirby's Fourth World Saga from DC Comics and his Marvel right. Comics e- e- Eternals, Lord of Light by Roger Zelazny and uh, yep. Daniel Keith Moran's uh, The Long Run and The Last Dancer, which I got to say, Lord of Light has been on like I got to read this book forever because both David and I love Zelazny. <laughs> I, I got to read. It's like I I got to read this book. I love Zelazny. Why haven't I read it? But yeah, uh, that's some hell of Great inspiration. Yeah. Well, if you're going to just take, because really, <laughs> you know, people go, oh, man, this is really clever. And it's like, it is when, you know, Jack Kirby created it or when, you know, Elasny <laughs> created it. Because basically, yes, I'm just, um, I'm that uh, filter in the coffee uh, maker that you just uh, put all the stuff in and distill out the other side into something. And Lord of Light, <laughs> like, you know, people talk about Amber a lot, and Amber did not engage with me. But Lord of Light, that is the book. That thing, oh my goodness. That one, uh, yeah, that, that tickled a space inside me when, uh, you know, I got kept to that one. And I was like, yeah, I got to make a game on this one. This, this makes perfect sense for a game. So, yeah, once you read Lord of Light, you'll go, oh, I see why Jerry is uh, such a hack. Because <laughs> it was all I- laid out here. I, I would say great designer because you know the good designers copy, great designers steal. Right. So. Exactly. I'm yeah. I'm the uh, yeah. I pillage, man. I'm I'm out there doing it. And funny enough, if you if you look up online and look up uh, uh, Lord of Light and Jack Kirby because he actually did concept designs for a movie. Did you guys ever oh, see? Really? Um, uh, what was that movie with um, Ben Affleck um, where they go to Iran? Um, they go as a oh, film crew filming a movie. Um, it sounds oh, familiar, but I don't think I've seen it. It starts with an F, I think. But Argo. That, yeah, Argo. So it doesn't start with an F. I'm thinking Fargo, probably. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Close. <laughs> the movie they were going to film, there, the, the movie that was the cover, it was Lords of Light. And they had concept art by Jack Kirby to, uh, oh, to show to the Iranians. When they went there, they were like, yeah, this is the movie we're making. Wow. And, um, yep. So, um, but no, I had no Jack idea. Kirby, yeah. Well, yeah, look it up. You'll see, and you've probably seen this artwork before if you, uh, looked at any Jack Kirby art and didn't know what it was from, but it's actually, uh, part of Lords of Light, uh, the, the, the concept art that he did to help, uh, the U.S. government, uh, rescue, uh, people from, uh, Iran. That, Fascinating. Um, probably shouldn't <laughs> rescue people from it, but, uh, we treated them uh, not poorly. 
But anyway. <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, yeah, that's it. It's 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 all in there. I mean, it's it's the blueprint for something big, cosmic, and you know, well realized, as opposed to what the other two iterations of Godson Agenda were, which were more superhero game and with some mythology on it, where this version is less superhero-y and more, I guess, just, you know, postmodern mythology um, is what it is. Um, basically, you know, the one of the conceits is that we've... Uh, a lot of like these mythology, you know, all of this mythology is actually based on something that actually happened and has been interpreted a certain way. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, there's been a few movies made about stuff like this. Um, and, you know, a lot of different novels. Um, what was the one? Um, uh, now I'm having a, a moment. Um, they were based uh King Arthur books. They were written. uh what were they, Swords of Mist? Something like that. I can't remember now, damn it. I'm I'm terrible. I should have done some homework before <laughs> I uh, started talking. It's okay. But, we're uh we're all middle aged uh geek dads, so you know, having right. having exactly. moments. We're still working normal. on doing their homework. Yeah. <laughs> yes, true. And wallowing in doo doo snow. Uh, <laughs> right. But yes, that's that's kind of what it is. If uh, if uh, if you're satisfied with my non-answer, if, uh, <laughs> my non-answer answer. Well, one of the things that I was going to ask, uh, you you already answered one of the questions on the the inspiration side of things. But one of the questions I was going to ask was, uh, like the the background of Godsend Agenda is aliens have. Uh, kind of crash landed on earth many, many eons in the past uh, and have decided to implement this, what they call the godsend agenda. Um, But there's multiple factions that are in that group. Um, I, I don't know if you've changed it since second edition, but there was actually uh, prisoners who escaped from this group. Um, And so You've yeah, got those groups and then humans as well. You've got those groups yes. and then humans as well. Yes. <laughs> and then there's some humans. Then there's some humans. Yeah, no, like, <laughs> yeah, 6,000 years ago, a prison ship crashes on Earth. Prison ship is full of, like, political, like, dissonance and subversives and, you know, uh, prisoners of war. They uh, escape the prison ship and use um, what their cultures uh, call the Godson agenda. And what the Godson agenda is uh, in the game, it's basically social engineering. So instead of going to a planet with like, you know, millions of spaceships and all these troops to conquer a planet, you subvert the way their way of thinking with your own and make them conquer themselves. So basically, you go to this planet, you set yourself up as a god, you get the local clergy to back you on it, and the people just kind of fall in line. Then... You basically uh, take over the planet, strip mine the planet, and then move on. And that is the Godson agenda. So uh, they decide to do that here to basically protect themselves against the, the, uh, the, um, uh, the correction officers on the ship, the, basically the, uh, the people on the ship who they've escaped from. So they decide, okay, we're going to use the Godson agenda to protect ourselves. We're going to get 
the people of Earth to protect us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it, you know, it works. And um, the prison guards decide, well, we're going to use the Godson Agenda 2 uh, and try to use it against them to basically uh, uh, subvert them. And along the way, you have basically the poor humans who are on the planet. Um, you have um, uh, 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 the Atlanteans who are, uh, you know, human adjacent who are on the planet who see this thing coming uh, because they are able, they have, you know, precognitive abilities. And, you know, one of their um, uh, uh, oracles tells them that, you know, there's going to be like, you know, these demons that come from the sky and basically ruin the planet. So they think, oh, it must be these guys. and you know, start a war, and that's where you get all these weird things in, like, prehistory and in mythology of Titans fighting the gods, fighting, you know, these people, fighting a dragon, which are, you know, one of the different factions who are these kind of mercurial shape changers who can change shapes, and so, you know, are some of them gods? Yes. Are some of them considered demons and monsters? Yes, because it, you know, it suited their purposes. Um, And so throughout history, you've had these you know, larger-than-life beings using this Godson agenda to their own ends um, until, like, uh, one of the political dissonance, uh, you know, a character named Addis, also known as Lightbringer, decides to cut off the flow of uh, power that they use to, you know, make all these wondrous things happen. So, you know, he cuts it off, and that's where you get, like, less and less uh, godlike uh, uh, beings on the planet because none of them have that power until the power's cut back on uh, in more modern day or more modern day. And then things start to get a little bit nuts again. So, you know, it's just a big mess of a story. And, uh, but that's the cool part about it is that, like I was saying earlier, you can play it in a, you know, the postmodern setting, you can play it in a futuristic setting, which that's going to be one of the epochs because the default setting is 2010, but not a 2010. We know. Right. Um, but after 2012, the world changes drastically because the invasion does happen. Which happen- uh, happened then, to coincide with the Mayan calendar of... Uh, well, yeah, then. because the Mayan yep. calendar was, was know, correct. written by... <laughs> yeah, it's correct. The, the people who wrote the Mayan calendar, you know, foresaw it and calculated, you know, that there would be a paradigm shift in 2012, um, which, you know, I kind of believe actually did happen. But... Uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, there's a paradigm shift and things do drastically change. Um, But, you know, that is the Godson agenda. It's basically about all these gods that people worship were actually, um, you know, they all have prison records and, uh, you know, (laughs) got away and did their own thing all over the planet. And uh, some of them have done it multiple times. Like, you know, there are certain characters that show up in mythology constantly. Which you know would it be the same person. Would be the same person. So, you know, yeah, yeah. Like so, Seth, you know, aka Seth, aka Typhon, aka Loki, are the same person. You know, just doing different things with a different accent. Um, <laughs> you know, where there are some people who are definitely this is this person, and you know, there's when you look through the timeline, you can see how divergent it is and how it kind of dovetails into stuff and tries to make sense of stuff like the Tunguska blast, uh, the Roswell um, landing, um, you know, where Eisenhower was when he uh, disappeared for a couple days. Um, 
you know, stuff like that. This is the type of stuff that, like, I eat up. So mm-hmm. on a Saturday, if I'm sitting here watching Netflix or Amazon or something, and I'm watching, like, a documentary that is just weird, and it's like, huh, wouldn't it be neat if this is the actual thing that happened with Eisenhower? He went and met with some Angelos, and they told him, like, hey, we'll give you this technology if uh, you let us, you know, just give us free reign to persecute people and, you know, hunt down some of these prisoners. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Um, which is an actual quote from Eisenhower. Yeah, whatever. whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, he wasn't really paying attention. He was looking at his phone. He was uh, doing his thing. His new cell but, phone that they had just given him. Back yes, in exactly. Whenever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they're like, here, use this. It's like, it's like uh, oh, we call these zombie machines. Wow, so, uh, Flappy Bird. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that's what they did. They gave him, like, a little thing with Candy Crush on it, and there you yep. go. Yep. So, but yes, that is the the background conceit of the Godson Agenda, is that it's social engineering that they use. And during the game and in the game, you as a player character are trying to social engineer a better world. And that's where it diverges from, like, when people just call it a superhero game, it's not really because in a traditional superhero game, you're not so concerned with the status quo. And the Godson agenda is because, like, I love comic books, and I've read comic books since, um, you know, the late 70s. Uh, in fact, I just figured out what my first comic book was because I tracked it down. And it oh, was a. Yeah, it was, uh, I think it was issue 17 of Marvel Premiere was my first comic with uh, Iron Fist. I think it was hmm. number 17. And I remember buying it at a 7-Eleven before we went and picked my father up from work. And I finally, uh, you know, and it's, it's hard to do because you have to track down by the guts of the book because that's what I remembered about it. Yeah, you didn't anyway, remember the cover. <laughs> I didn't remember the cover, but I remembered the guts of the book. So I've been like tracking down this book for years and i finally found out uh which issue it was and um so but, now i have to uh but like my most comics are are most superhero comics are set in keeping the status quo or keeping people safe not necessarily even keeping people safe just keeping the people in power always in power that's the thing about the status quo is that let's say for instance you're looking at a Superman comic or an X-Men comic or even, um, you know, Avengers or something like that or Thor or what, whatever, whatever you're looking at. In those comics, they are always protecting the status quo, even when the status quo is rotten. So you would think like, um, let's say, for instance, you had uh, uh, Batman and he decides, uh, hey, I'm a billionaire. Why don't instead of like me going down to the inner city and beating people up, I take a billion dollars and reinvigorate the core of this city and, uh, you know, attack the actual problems that are creating this crime and disparity. Right. Um, you know, but no, Batman just likes to beat up poor people. So, uh, <laughs> so that's what Batman does, you know, um, or let's say for instance, uh, the fantastic four, like, uh, you know, in the comic book, the way the fantastic four make the money is that Reed Richards has tons of patents on some of on his inventions. Reed Richards has gone to other dimensions, but, you know, he is, uh, uh, he's worked with all this weird cosmic radiation. He's turned 
Ben Grimm back into Ben Grimm countless times. He's done all these magnificent things, but there's people walking around with kidney disease. You know, it's like, can you, can you do something about that, Reed Richards? And it's like, nah, I'm good, you know. Or, you know, Superman. They had a comic where Superman fought the Klan. What if Superman decided, like, yeah, this is, this is some BS. I'm going to stop it right now, you know, <laughs> just and made it happen. Right. Or, you know, like, uh, voting rights, you know, he you know, decided, like, hey, this is not going to happen here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of postmodern comics have done that, like with the authority or planetary and things like that, where they've decided, and I get why they don't, because in a normal comic, it's a franchise. You need right. to reset to the status quo, because if you don't, you end up with something that's vastly different. You know, you, you, you're constantly resetting. Right. Whereas in a lot of like postmodern comics, like especially with the authority, they decided they were going to do something about it. Or, and um, I don't know if you guys have ever read a comic called Zenith. It was a, a British comic. Uh, if not, you should go check it out. But there's been comics that have done this where they've decided we're going to do something and it's going to make a change. And that change is a change. It's not going to be a change where we reset it back. This is just how the world works now. And, and so that's, so that's kind of like uh, in some ways a backbone behind with God's and agenda is you are trying to make change and upset yes. the status quo or Absolutely. you are fighting no, to maintain the status quo, but that's, that's up to the characters. That's not up to the game well, system or the setting. Well, yeah, you know, it's like if, if you live on a planet that, you know, people are constantly telling you there's not enough food and there is, you know, all this, um, you know, this disparities between like these people and those people. But, you know, once you do the math and you realize we could feed everyone on this planet if we had the will to do so. If you had the power of Thor, you know, uh, why would there be a drought someplace? You know, right. why would some go without, you know, it's like change the world you know, and damn whoever gets in your way. Um, and that's kind of what the game's about. It's, it's not about, you know, well, you know, the government says we shouldn't be doing this, so let's not do it. And it's like, I can obviously see there's people suffering, so I'm going to go do something about it because I am literally bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Or I can, you know, I can manipulate weather, or I can, you know, make a tree grow in two seconds, or, you know, you know, there's just stuff you could do. Like, just imagine with some of, like, you know, our natural, catastroph- natural catastrophes that we've had, you know, in, like, the last year. If you actually had the X-Men, you know, like, you wouldn't yep. have Cal- uh, California burning up, you know. Um, if if Reed Richards know. actually did his job, global warming yeah, wouldn't right. be, a, climate change wouldn't well, be a thing. I would have my flying car and my food pills. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, see, I that's, that's the, actually I, I was just going to say, Reed Richards already has his flying car. Why does he need to give it to other people? <laughs> exactly. And because he's protecting the status quo. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if I was in the Marvel Universe, I'd be like, we need to go rob Reed Richards. He's got transmat uh, platforms in this place that go to other dimensions that, they, you know, they'll put prisoners there, but they they won't like, you know, do anything to help, uh, you know. The, the common person. I mean, you could you could fix all the problems in Marvel Comics if you really wanted to, or with Marvel characters or DC characters or image characters or Pacific Comics. First, I'll keep I going. Think it, uh, comic yeah, I, think it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I gotta say, like the, the current run of X Men uh, with with Jonathan Hickman um, has been interesting because X Men was on the outs for so long at Marvel, right? Because like Fox owned it. 
they're just like nobody cares about the X-Men anymore. It's all about the Avengers. I think they created an opportunity for them to just blow up the X-Men, right? So in the current storyline, they're they're kind of doing that, right? Like they said, hey, we've got our mutant um homeland of uh Krakoa, right? Like the intelligent mutant island, right? And we're going to create these three wonder drugs based on flowers that only grow on our island. Uh one of them cures like cancer. Uh, one of them will give you five more years to your life. I can't remember what the third one was. And all you have to do uh, to get these wonder drugs, we'll give them to you, is uh, acknowledge us. Right. Acknowledge, stop prosecuting, persecuting mutants. Treat people well. Um, and uh, and we're going to like start throwing our mutant weight around because we can. Like in a most recent <laughs> mild spoilers from like last summer, they terraformed Mars and decided it was the new capital of the solar system. <laughs> Right, because they have omega like level planet right. mutants who can do that, right. right? Like, so I think it, that's cool, right? Like you've got like these huge things. Now, the thing that I'm curious about, to your point, is is it just all going to revert now that X Men's actually doing pretty well? Disney yeah. owns it all, and they have to bring right. it back, and they're like, yeah, no, 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 X Men, that's all cool and all, but we we gotta we gotta rein you in a little bit. Yeah, it it will, um, and I get it, and I don't begrudge them for it because again. These are IPs that make money, and you need to make them play nice with one another. And if you did something that drastic, then it is not the X-Men, and it's not the Avengers. Because conversely, what I would say to the X-Men is like, guys, don't be jerks. Just if You've got right. literally a, a cancer drug. Just give us a cancer drug. You know? Yeah, you know, and it's, it's funny, because I think that's part of what the storytelling challenge uh, one of the interesting uh tensions here is that you've got the, the x-men who who could just kind of go out and like just help people but they're not and it, it's creating i think interesting story dynamics where i think some of that's starting to creep into it they've created this like deathless paradise where every mutant can be resurrected and it starts creating these very interesting cultural issues as you kind of as they kind of evolve their timeline it's just I don't know. It's a great time to be an X-Men fan, but we're here to talk about God's End Agenda. <laughs> we, we, did, we were warned that, that tangents are oh, yeah. possible even more than uh, I'll, I'll, I usually yeah, do. I'm going to so, into a ditch. We're, yeah. we're going. <laughs> well, because but it's, all, it's all relevant to the God's End Agenda because it's, yeah. it's basically the status quo. Really, the status quo really only helps the people in charge. And right. usually the people in charge don't want to change anything because they're comfy and they're comfy, you know, just like in real life. It's, it's like, a human thing. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm comfortable here. Why should I change? You know, and, you know, there's someone, you know, with a, you know, there's little Oliver Twist with his little bowl, you know, uh, you know, asking for some more, please. And uh, it's like, listen, get out of here, man. I'm, I'm already full. I don't know about you, but yeah. that's what the game is. It's basically since the game is about social engineering. What will you do as a group proactively? Because that's another part of the game is that the game is not let's run you through a dungeon. It's, the game is like, okay, we're sitting at a table. Let's create our agenda. Because yeah. in the game, you create a, a pantheon of players, of, of characters. And so your pantheon could be, you know, is the equivalent of your super group, except that you're creating your pantheon plus its support system there. So you're creating your Jarvis and your, you know, um, maybe, you know, your uh, computerized AI system, but it's part of your pantheon. And just like with um, a lot of mythologies, it's like, well, what do we do as a pantheon? What are we about? You know, and your pantheon might be about cleaning up your local area. Like, hey, we're going to clean up the city. That's a small agenda. 
you know, and the agenda start to scale up to from like local up to cosmic level things with most of them being in between that range from like, you know, national or something like that. Like, for instance, if you decided and your God's an agenda game, we're taking over the Pacific Northwest and we're creating our own small empire. That's viable in the God's an agenda. You know, there's going to be people there. There's going to be pushback to the agenda. Right. Uh, the way the agendas work. Um, but um, the system, you know, there's a whole system just called agendas in the game that allow you to do this thing and allow you to try and make these changes. And there's pushback because obviously the status quo wants to remain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and once you start making changes to the attributes of the agenda, because the agenda is built like a character and your pantheon is built like a character. So you play on two different levels. You play on epic level and you play on saga level. So saga level would be uh, what you would normally play in a role-playing game from adventure to adventure, scene to scene. Epic level is when you play your pantheon and your pantheon is kind of a, dis- uh, a gestalt character of all the characters at the table. So how powerful is your Pantheon? It's as powerful as the people in the Pantheon. And what can the Pantheon do? It can tackle large-scale problems. Like, um, we've got a uh, corrupt, um, uh, let's say, uh, government uh, in our city. The Pantheon attacks that as a different character. So the agenda has attributes, your Pantheon has attributes, and then you just, you know, you put them in a room and then they fight a little bit. and then, you know, you can go back to saga play. So you, you're playing it on a few different levels as opposed to just, you know, fiddly bits. And that's one of the things that yeah. always, depending on the game, like I felt some games failed me in that respect. Um, like I really love like uh, Torg and Torg was uh, a way for me to meet like one of a. Uh, uh, you know, one of uh, 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 meet a really good friend. Like I met him back in like 1990 something. I can't even remember when Torg came out, but you know, that's where we met. And you know, you play some Torg, but when we started playing the new Torg, it kind of bummed me out that we couldn't really make these. Like, there's large scale changes happening, but we can't make those changes. The players can't make the players and characters can't yeah, make the changes. Can, okay. If, yeah, like if, if we have the ability to change, you know, to manipulate reality, couldn't we change reality to, you know, fit, you know, could we become like Torg Lords in, in a sense, you know, um, or if we're playing D&D or we're playing like whatever game, we've cleaned out a dungeon, but we've not really changed the world. It's still, again, the status quo, you know, right? Um, unless there's some hand waving involved. there's there's no mechanics for it i mean you could like there's i'm uh like i've definitely run things where the world has changed uh because of player actions one one player opened up many many portals to the elemental plane of fire and destroyed an entire city uh uh, so that happens but like we had to break the rules of D D to do it in some ways, you know, but right. so hearing that it's actually part of the system is pretty cool. And I don't remember that being in second edition, the the edition that I have, I don't remember that, that, that sort of um, saga versus epic level right. play. I don't, yeah. I don't think it was there in that one, which is pretty cool. No, no, because again, I didn't have the language or the tools to do it. 
But, right. you know, as you evolve, you know, get a little bit more wisdom or so-called wisdom, you start thinking about these things. And uh, But the cool part is, is, is in a lot of games, you play passively because you're not considering the world. You're considering how do I stay above water in the world as opposed to being proactive and saying, guys, we've got the power to change this. Let's go do it because you're creating your own agendas. And then you as a play group, you know, uh, GM included, you guys create the agenda and give it attributes and stats. And then, you know, the GM takes that as, you know, one of the players and goes, I know now what's important to the players in this game. Yeah. So I might add my own secret sauce to it, but this is where the players want to go. Uh, this is where we're going. So you're going to craft uh, story elements that will lead you in that direction or push back against it. Yep. And, and that's the cool part is that once you hit like a certain amount of fusion in the game, the game starts running itself because you don't have to like do all this weird prep work to like make the game go. You just go, we know, like for instance, uh, a different analogy, let's say if we were playing Star Wars, uh, we're playing in like the Rebellion era, you can have other stories going on, but the main theme is that Rebellion. And what are we doing to progress through that rebellion? Some games don't. Some games you stay in the static rebellion and, you know, people will be like, well, we've been playing Star Wars for the last, like, 30 years. And it's like, has the rebellion ended yet? And they're like, nah. Nope. You're like, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> Make the rebellion that, end. That hits pretty close to home, as you know from, from Aaron. So <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> Make it end. You know, um, but a lot of them don't, you know, a lot of games don't, and they will stay in this constant, weird, nebulous area. And me personally, and like my style of play, like I stopped playing, like, remember when you were younger and people would brag to you about having a game that is lasted, that's been going on for the last five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And that was a cool thing. To me, I'm thinking, what, what happened? What went wrong in that game that you guys could not find a satisfying ending? You know? Because you can still play other games set in that milieu, but, you know, if it's a story, it should have a beginning, a middle, and an end, or else it's just wankery to me. It's just, you know, it's just <laughs> just a prolonged and painful, I don't know. I, I mean, it sounds like it. you're playing through the life of that adventuring party or something like that. And they may change the world, but the story is really focused on people. And people don't have nice beginning, middle. Well, they have a nice beginning, theoretically. They have a beginning, and they have a end. But usually that's birth and death. It's not a, a convenient story. <laughs> right. Well, so, and that that leads me to my other tangent as I drive this car off the side of the road. Um, <laughs> I really like novels that have an ending and that are not built to be 10-book uh, sagas, you know, like they can be as long as the books have a satisfying ending after each book, and I don't have to read. Ah, yeah, you yeah. Know, you know what I mean? So, like, let's say, for instance, the Elric saga. You know, these little novellas, two hundred pages. I get a complete story. Yep. Things change. Things happen. The characters move on. Um, and then there are some books, uh, like uh, what is it, the David Eddings Belgariad or whatever it was. Where each book ended knowing there was another book, you know, it, it, they never ended, you know, it was, 
and I get it because you want to write them to make money again. Mm-hmm. You want the status quo. Um, and so maybe in that way, I'm a little bit more punk rock and I just want, you know, <laughs> you want more uh, want original series Star Trek. Yes. Well, kind of. <laughs> or yeah, maybe, maybe Next Generation. Know, it, it doesn't necessarily have Next to Generation be episodic, might had some like through lines and like like right? overarching plots, but each episode was its own story. I would rather it be Babylon 5. Okay. Where if you're going to give me five seasons, make it end at the end of that five seasons. And Got things it. have changed. So yes. if you go on to the whatever that thing was they did afterwards, what was it called? Where they had Dude? Elric and the Technomancers and Oh yeah, the the one that lasted for only a few episodes if yeah, I recall. The one that was just it was just yeah. But it was like but you know what I mean? Like, was it the, the Rangers? What's that? It was like the Rangers or something like that. Or they were a Ranger group. Wasn't it Crusade? Crusade. That yes. was it. Crusade. And I do think it was about Rangers and like dealing with like a like a viral threat to the guy. I never saw it because I don't think it was on anything I could watch. And at the time right. that mattered. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, but the thing is, is that at the end of that, you knew it was over and you knew that the universe had changed in some way. Um, as opposed to like with Star Trek, you know that at the end of the episode, things are going to be hunky dory, dude. It's yep. it's okay. Straczynski, you know? uh, who wrote Babylon Five, that was not his first ending of a thing. Um, if you remember Captain Power with the the toys that you could shoot yeah. the TV, the last <laughs> yeah. episode of it, they were fighting a rebellion. In the last episode of it, they lose. Right. <laughs> Same with. It's above and beyond. Did you ever see the last episode of that series? Mm-mm. It was oh, a wait. Oh, series. It's been a while. It's been a long time. Yeah, Space Above and Beyond ran for one season. They knew it was ending, and that ending was awesome. Uh, <laughs> they decided, like, well, there's not going to be any more, so we're going out with a bang. And yep. it did. After, once you watched that last episode, you were like, I wish there was more episodes. Yes. And before <laughs> that, I was casually watching it. Like, you're like, okay, whatever. But since they knew they were done, that thing, like they were, they it it yeah they turned it up. It, it it got nuts, and it was so good because they did not have to concern themselves with the status quo. Yeah, and I really appreciated that. You know, yeah. I that, mean, it's it's why that all the will they won't they plot lines go on for years and years in in sitcoms and other things like that is because they can't upset the status quo because they don't want to upset their audience and such like that. But but in a game everybody's there. You have buy-in from everybody who counts. Um, and so you can make change. Um, yeah. So we've been kind of talking about, about some of the questions that I was going to ask of like, like the new version is like a new game system and what prompted the change. And it sounds, you know, you, you've answered that one, you know, you want players of this game to be able mechanically to make that change. Um, yes, but like so. So one of the next questions I had was, uh, so the system's called the Omega system that powers the art, yes. art, the role playing game. Um, what's what are its strengths? Like, how does it fit the game? It specifically. Well, uh, let's see. How does it fit it specifically? It is um, well. One, it uses two D ten. You add those together, doubles explode. Um, 
And it's a variation on the system that's uh, been used in Talislanta. If anyone's a fan of Talislanta, it was uh, also used for Hellas, uh, World of Sun and Stone, and also used for uh, Atlantis. And it's basically attribute plus stat versus a degree of difficulty. You know, a DOD is what they call it in the game. Um, and you roll 2d10 and you try to get over an 11. So an 11 is a success, and it's gradiated successes in the game. So if you roll a zero or less, that's a critical failure. One to five is a failure. Six to 10 is a partial success. And anything after, you know, 11 or higher is a success. Um, that is basically the Omega system in a nutshell. And that's the system uh, being used. And it usually runs on a D20. But for Gods and Agenda, we changed it to 2D10 so that the dice would explode. And when they explode, you just keep going. And so that's where you get the gradients of success. You get um, margins of success. So if you roll an 11, success. If you rolled a 13, that's a MOS 1, margin success 1, 15, 2, 18, 21, and so on. And that allows uh, the game to do really big, super heroic things. So let's say, for instance, your degree of difficulty on a roll and you've got a plus 5 or a plus 10 to your roll, and the degree of difficulty is uh, 15. That means you have a minus 5 to your roll, and you have to roll over an 11 to get a success. But if your dice explode, you can get a huge success. And then what you can do in the game is spend those MOSs to greater effect. So let's say, for instance, in combat, um, you can spend um, uh, two MOS to bypass, you know, armor, or you can spend it to do more damage, or you can knock them down or do knockback, or, um, you know, uh, give them a, a grievous wound, you know, or something like that. You know, you can, it allows you to do really big things in God's agenda that you can't do, let's say, in Talislant or Atlantis or Hellas. So that's one of the changes is that we, you know, we moved to 2D10 um, in the game, which gives you like a, a larger range uh, to pull from. Um, as I progress through like my role playing career as, you know, a player and GM, I've come to find out too that I don't like um, systems that have a ton of skills. Um, and this is my personal preference. And this is basically something that I've started to do in all my games. So all the games that I will design are informed by like, you know, the way I like to play. Um, so mm -hmm. for instance, if you look at a lot of the, like, if you look at Mythic D6, or if you look at, uh, the new gods and agenda, they don't have a lot of skills. Um, you know, and one of my favorite games are, uh, is, you know, Cyberpunk 2020, Talos is one of them. Um, you know, probably my top three favorite games ever, you know, DC Heroes, Talislanta, and Cyberpunk 2020. And if you know anything about Cyberpunk 2020, it has a ton of skills. <laughs> and most of those skills, if you, if you just basically distill them down, you could distill them down into a few different skills, but they're, you know, there's a skill they're for very this. very specific. Right. Uh, same with, like, um, Western games like uh, Star Wars D6. The way, like, you'll look at the character sheet, there's, like... Um, there's more than six attributes to the game, but each one will yeah. have like 10 skills under it. So you end up with like these huge skill lists. Like Talislanta has, I think I counted, there were 100, over 120 skills, you know, so you'll have like, you know, sword skill, you'll have dagger skill, you'll have this, you'll have that. But really when you boil it all down, it's like, I want to just stab him. I want to hit him, <laughs> you know? So I've, I've done that in my games. It's, you know, and some people don't like that. Some people love, case in point, 
I love RuneQuest. Have you ever looked at a RuneQuest character sheet? Have not. <laughs> it's like it, they're crazy, man. It's it's crazy town. Uh, I love the game, but it took me four hours to make a character. <laughs> it's like so many skills, and you'll get five percent to this skill. You know, ten percent. It's crazy, and it's like I'm thinking, why not distill this down to like twenty skills, and we can keep it pushing? But they don't. Um, so you don't need, a, you don't need a skill for swimming and a skill for climbing and a skill for running. You can do like well, athletics and you're generically good at anything athletics. Yeah, uh, pretty much. You know, so that's what I've done. In, uh, and, you know, it conforms to my sensibility as a gamer to, you know, to do it like that, as opposed to some skills will get really granular on some things, but really broad and generic on other things you know like you'll have like 15 different gun skills but you'll have a convince skill and that takes the place of you know like i want to convince them i want to bamboozle them and there's one skill but there's 15 different gun skills eight different driving skills a horse skill yep. and you're like man a lot of skills man i've never needed a skill to drive a truck <laughs> because i can drive a car unless i drive you know what i mean it's like but um I, the the thing that i I don't mind a lot of skills. What I mind is having so many skills and then putting points into those skills because it's usually a point system or or points to improve them. Uh, or right. you have to specify, oh, I'm proficient in this particular skill. Um, but then almost never using it. Yeah. So it's like those are wasted points or a wasted proficiency or a wasted whatever. Having Having less skills that are broader each allows you to use those skills more often and you don't feel like you're wasting points somewhere. Yep. I, I will equate it to this and maybe you can understand being a middle-aged dad, you have a good pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. So when you were going to the wedding or to the funeral or, you know, going out to eat at the nice restaurant, you put on your dress shoes, you know, you don't have funeral shoes, wedding shoes. You've got dress shoes, you know, you've got your, Three or four pair of good pants. You know, you don't have, you know, my funeral pants, date pants. You know what I mean? You've got, you know, you've got. I mean, in the before, in the before times, I had more pairs of pants, but but now in, in, in. Before the co-pocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the, now in the worst timeline. Yeah. I, I have many less pairs of pants. Well, you know, I have, you know, a closet full of pants, but you know what I mean? It's like, I don't right. have a ton of. Weird different pants for different like activities. Cereal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. have cereal spoon, ice cream spoon, and oatmeal spoon. You know, I have spoon. Yeah. I've got spoon. I've got, right. you know, spoon that fits in my gob. I've got gob spoon. But, um, uh, uh, so yeah, there's that. The skill list is small. Things are being streamlined, even though the system would probably be considered heavy. I try to streamline things so that. They're easy to juggle when you're running it. They're easy to juggle when you're playing it. And they're easy to rock when you look at it, mm -hmm. as opposed to, like, you know, what does Gentle Cut do and uh, RuneQuest, you know, the new RuneQuest game? I know what it does, but, you know, there's literally a skill for butchering cows that could, you know, there's, you know, okay. it's, it's, and I get it in the context of RuneQuest, but, you know, I got to put five points in that, and you know, <laughs> then I got to raise it. You know, one point per. It's, like, it's crazy, and I love RuneQuest. 
but it's crazy talk <laughs> in RuneQuest. Nice. You know, not to poop on RuneQuest, because I do like it, and I own all the RuneQuest back there. But uh, it's uh, that's one of the sensibilities. So the new system basically pulls everything down so that you can manage it, but it's robust enough that you can do a lot with it, um, if that makes any sense. Um, so yeah. you don't need a lot to do a lot. Um, which some systems, you know, need, I guess. Um, but that's one thing that the system does, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but on to the next one. What else we got? Yeah. Um, I think Ken's making notes so that we have good good show notes for everybody who's going to show up. So I'll ask. I'll ask another one. There's poop on everyone's game. Yeah. Um, is there anything that makes this Kickstarter different than the other w- ones that you've run before since we're in the worst timeline? Like uh, distribution there, plant. So we're, since we're in the worst timeline, uh, right. you know, it, like distribution plans with Kickstarter and COVID, or is there, is there anything that's different in this Kickstarter than other ones you've run before? Um, each Kickstarter or each time, especially like when I do stuff, you learn something from the last time you did it and try not to do it again. Um, just because that way lies madness. So if you'll look at like a lot of my Kickstarters, there's really no stretch goals because it's pretty much meat and potatoes. I run a Kickstarter because I want to produce this thing, but I don't need to produce all the tchotchkes that go into it, like the, the special dice bag and you know, the, the die with the skull on it and this and that, that, you know, adds up that once you get, uh, to shipping, you know, the book that would have cost you like, you know, maybe $10 to ship now costs you like $36 because you've got like, you know, an extra 10 pounds of stuff that's coming along with it. That is completely unnecessary. So that's one thing that I do, um, with the Kickstarters. Another thing that I always try to do with Kickstarters is have stuff done so that, you know, you're not waiting two to four years to get this book. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes it's happy. Like I'll get a package in the mail that I completely forgot that I backed. And all of a sudden I've got like, you know, this book that I backed, you know, three years ago, four years ago. And I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm a, uh, I should get excited about running this thing again or wanting to run it again. Um, so with, mm-hmm. you know, my stuff, I try to get it all done and then, uh, you know, do the Kickstarter so that I, people at least know that there's something there. Um, but, you know, uh, distribution-wise, it's going to be in distribution. You'll be able to find it in your hobby uh, oh, cool. shop. You'll be able to find it online. Um, you know, uh, even though there probably will be quite a few of them sitting in uh, the warehouse here at Compare Publishing, a.k.a. the uh, garage, there uh, <laughs> will be a lot in distribution. So uh, there's nothing to worry about there, but yeah, there's, it's always a learning curve, man, because especially now in the, the copocalypse, um, it's just things are uncertain. Like uh, for Orun, when we did that one, that one, we, I sent that thing to the publisher last year at in March, and we didn't get the books until I think October or something. Like it's crazy. And the books, you know, were done. But, you know, they're sitting in shipping containers and then they come across and 
then you get all these weird extra costs because now it's like they're using this fulfillment guy that does this and it's an extra, you know, you need to send us an extra 500 bucks to get it through this thing now. And it's so there's a lot of weird uncertainty with mm. the manufacturing parts that I can't control. Um, but the production of it, uh, that's that's golden. I've, I've got that one unlocked. It's just all the other weird like shipping costs that, you know, like. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to ship anything to Australia, but it's no. it's ridiculous. <laughs> it is crazy expensive, and it makes me cry. <laughs> it's it's like, like when something happens to a book that I ship to Australia, and then you know they'll be like, "Hey, it's messed up. Can you send me another?" I'm always tempted to just say, "I'm willing to just give you money back, man," because I've literally spent twice as much sending you this book <laughs> than the actual cost of the book. So yeah, right. all of that stuff is always a terror when you're doing these things um so yes i um uh kind of prefer to uh not sell any books uh outside of uh, nevada because uh <laughs> <laughs> it's easier not to send books it's yeah. uh because yeah it, it it hurts my heart man like uh it, yeah it makes kittens cry it's uh it's what that is but so i've got but other than that you know I've got two more questions for you that are more game design. Um, okay. Than, I know nothing than about Godsend. Um, well, how did you get into game design? Like, what oh. inspired you to get into game de game design? I think we've all got a little game designer in us. Um, like when I first uh, I started role playing in 1981. Uh, with the little like uh, magenta pinkish box D and D, and you know, after a while, couldn't play that because I was going to become a devil worshiper, um, <laughs> which kind of bummed yeah. me out because I was looking forward to uh, becoming a devil worshiper, and it you know, kind of stymied <laughs> me there. But you know, you you're always tweaking the games you're playing, and always drifting them into other things that you wanted to do with the games, and my friend. Like we, you know, we were role playing, playing all sorts of games. But then one day my friend gave me a milk carton, a milk crate full of games. And in that milk uh, crate was Stormbringer, the original box, original Call of Cthulhu, Superworld, um, Danger Unlimited, Dragon Raid, um, just a whole bunch of games that were not D&D. Yeah. And it blew my mind. Like, it was like, what is this? Like, what is going on here? And, like, once you realize that there are a zillion different games and a zillion different ways to play games, then you start, you know, thinking, why are we, you know, we can do this better or we can do this differently or what have you. Um, and that's where it started. Um, the way I got to publishing God's and Agenda, the first game that we published, was that originally God's and Agenda was born from a comic book that we uh that i put together and i wanted to publish it and this was back in the late uh 90s early 2000s and you know there was all these startups and all these dot coms and there was a ton of money and there was one um startup and they were doing all this different media and so they were looking for different media and i got a hold of them and i was like hey i'm doing this comic book um would you guys be interested and they're like absolutely and what other types of media do you got to coincide with it? And I was like, uh, I got a role-playing game. And they're like, yes, we'll take that too. And we'll publish it all. 
because these guys had crazy deep pockets, or so they say. <laughs> so, you know, after uh, I, <laughs> afterwards, I'm like, Ugh, I, I got to write, I got to write a role playing game for this uh, for this game for this comic book that you know we had put together. And so I wrote the comic, and then or wrote the role playing game, and then uh, you know, cut to like six months later or whatever. It's like, hey, I'm ready. I got, you know, I got the role-playing game, the comic books ready. We're, we're ready. And it's like, oh, we're not ready because we lost all our money because dot-com bubble. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's a bummer. And so went back to the drawing board, you know, refined like the role-playing game some more. And then I decided, why don't I just publish it myself? And so that's what I did was uh, published it. And that coincided a lot with the D20 boom that was happening. Um, which I probably could have made more money if I would have made it a D20 game at the time, but I've never really done that. I like shooting yeah. myself in the foot uh, <laughs> as far as like... Uh, not going with the trends. Uh, uh, yeah, because, you know, it's like, listen, my game does not... It's not D&D uh, mm-hmm. at the time, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. And that's one of the things I like about role-playing. It's when the system feels perfect for whatever game you're doing. And to me, a system does matter as far as like the milieu and the genre you're trying to play. You can't shoehorn everything into a, a particular set of rules. Like we used to play GURPS a lot, and we tried to shoehorn everything into GURPS at one point. And you I mean, come it away says going, universal right in the title. Well, of course, and and so it should have. And the same with like the hero system. Like you would try to play Star Trek using the hero system, and you could play it, and you know we enjoyed playing it, but. It, didn't it just quite didn't feel, feel there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It, there's something missing there. It's kind of like, you know, like uh, when you wanted a McDonald's hamburger and your mother made you a hamburger and it was good, but it just wasn't McDonald's. And, you, you know, you're like, okay, well, it's, you know, it's a hamburger and I like hamburgers, but yep. I have my heart set on that Big Mac. And, you know, you've given me like this weird greasy thing that when I squish down on the two pieces of white bread, you know, there's grease marks like, you know, on my fingers and stuff, you know. So I've always tried to, whatever genre, I'm trying to emulate that particular genre to make the game feel like its own thing. Kind of like um, there's a lot of games that are perfectly suited for the particular system because they're built from the ground up to do that thing. And it's so sweet when that works because it, it works so well, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, a, you know, there's tons of games that do that. Um, and, and, you know, they're perfect. They're perfect, you know, little artifacts of role-playing. And there's some games that are just monstrosities because they try to shoehorn this game into whatever house system they're using, and it, it kind of doesn't work, you know. Um, so that's what I've tried to do is give you something that you can't necessarily get anywhere else. Because if you wanted to play a superhero game, I would suggest Bash is a good one. Um, Mutants and Masterminds, Hero System's a good one. But if you want to play Gods and Agenda, do it with this, you know. Um, but, you know, if you just want, you know, four color supers, you know, go buy Icons because that's a good game. You know, Bash and, gosh, got so many of those damn things over there. Any of those games back there, you know, <laughs> use one of those because it, it will work better, you know. Um, like, would I want to run, like, um, Rune Quest using the God Sitting Agenda system? Yeah, probably, because I, I can't deal with that, that, that character sheet. No, but I, I would probably, uh, you know, 
you know, but there's systems for like RuneQuest, like Hero Quest is a perfect system for RuneQuest. Like I, I love that game. Uh, but you know, it, it needs to fit that system. You know, I can't uh that's the one thing that always bums me out when I'll get a new game that has some kind of weird generic system attached to it that they shoehorned everything in there, but it you know, it just kind of does not work uh, as well um, as it should. So hopefully that answered your question in my roundabout metaphoric analogy meander and stuff. Um, yeah, it did. It did. Uh, I was trying to yes. write a note as well. Uh, but I have a que- question, follow-up question on that is like, what advice would you give someone getting into game design? I would say make a lot of bad games. I would say <laughs> make as many bad games, seriously, and make them and have the fire in your belly to make games and to have a vision of what you want to make and make that. And try not to make a game that is everything to everyone because you will end up making something that ultimately will not make you happy. And even if your game design is bad and people call it garbage, you didn't set out to make a piece of garbage game. And uh, there's only, like, I could probably only think of maybe two or three games where I would say they are garbage. There's some games that I don't like or some games that the sensibility kind of bounces off of me, but I don't consider them bad games. They're just not my bag, just like, you know, let's say with music or food or something like that. But if you are... If you have that fire in your belly to make a game or to write a novel or to draw a comic or to do whatever you want to do, just do it and do it a lot and go hard on it and be unapologetic in what you do and just, you know, make your thing because ultimately it's going to feed your soul. It will feed you inside to make your thing, to be creative and to make a thing, even if it's a bad thing, you know, um, because trust me, I've made a ton of bad uh, design choices. Uh, in fact, most of them are in Gus and Agenda. But um, <laughs> make those and then, you know, sell it, don't sell it, whatever, but make it. And, you know, don't apologize for it, man. If, if, uh, if you've got a game that is your Frankenstein D&D, make your Frankenstein D&D game that has like little pieces of, you know, Shadowrun in it or you know, little pieces of dark conspiracy, you know, tacked on to your My Little Pony game and, you know, throw in some Call of Cthulhu and, you know, whatever, just make your game man, and, you know, show people and be proud of it. I mean, there's a lot of people who never make anything just because they are afraid of failing and you just got to just go for it and just make it. And even if you fail, you didn't really fail because you made a thing. And there's so many people who don't, they don't, do anything because they are afraid to fail and i learned a long time ago man i can fake the funk i can tell you and there's plenty of people out there who do the same thing like i'll fake the funk and tell you how awesome it is and you'll get all jazzed up and you'll want to play it and then you'll back my kickstarter and then you'll get it home and be like oh man jerry took me for a ride again you tricked me (laughs) but you know maybe i've you brainwashed into thinking it was good but no just make it make it and don't worry about it and you don't need to know math. You don't need to know. I mean, obviously, if you want to be successful, you need to pick up some skills. But who cares, man? Like, you should see my drafts because it looks like a maniac wrote them. It's written in crayon. The E's are backwards. Um, 
you know, it's written on the back of napkins and towels and stuff. And, you know, there's pieces of hair on it and tears and cheese. <laughs> it's, it's disgusting. But, you know, I, I, I get it done. So editing is important, That's- too. Yes, that's what I understand. Yeah, you get someone to change your maniac ideas into something that people can see. But and also ask people. Like the way I got into uh, publishing is that I just ask people, and the cool part is, is that there are people out there who will help you, and they won't charge anything. They will just honestly want to help you make something awesome, mm-hmm. and find those people, or you know, hit me up. You know, I'm not going to give you any money to make it, but. Uh, I'll tell you all the pitfalls that I've run into. Um, you know, like me, uh, my process is basically I start with an outline. I will just make bullet points of stuff I want to hit and start there and then go and uh, make the game. Um, some people, they will just start in one corner and write the entire game to the end. And I don't know how you do that. Me, it's a bunch of like bullet points and breaking down into small pieces. And then at the end, you've got like, you know, 50,000 to 100,000 words. Um, But no, there's people who will mentor you, who will, you know, show you how to do it. And, you know, I'll tell you all the bad stuff. I've gone through all the, you know, the, 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 all the money like I've wasted on folly uh, by accident, uh, you know, or because of ego, uh, I've done it. But no, do it, man. Like, those are the people that jazz me up the most is when I go to a convention back for the apocalypse and you would see someone with their little booth way in the back of the convention hall with their little game. And it might not be the best game, but damn it, man, I'm going to buy your game. You know, when I go to a comic convention, those are the guys I buy the comics from is, you know, Marvel's got all the money. DC's got all the money. But that guy sitting at his little table with like his little comic book creation. That's where the magic is, man. Um, nothing's ever been created by rich people. Like if you look yeah. at like technologies, never have uh, you know uh, you know once Microsoft did its one innovation, they just bought other innovation from smaller companies. Google's the same way, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, you know, I mean, and so Marvel and DC didn't even start out rich. You know, I mean they they uh, no. they started they out started small out, too, but now they're yeah, just doing. Uh, now <laughs> now they're doing the same stuff over and over again. So, you well, know. Well, they have a vested interest in keeping their status quo and their yep. IPs, you know, and I don't blame them, man. I mean, I wish I had uh, some of that, but, yeah. you know, I decided to do role playing where I can make tens of dollars uh, <laughs> making games. Yeah. But, yeah. No, especially especially after all the booth and hotel costs of, of oh, yeah. conventions, you know. Absolutely. Like, that's uh and that's another thing like once i um like i came to that conclusion with gen con same conclusion i came to with the san diego comic-con is that they just don't want me there like when you can't you know when you're spending like five six grand to get there you know booth and all that stuff and it's hard to make that nut back man you got you gotta super hustle it yeah so it's it's easier for me to go to the smaller cons make more money like uh like for instance, like when you would talk to me about like Gen Con, it's I've retired from Gen Con. Gen Con, as a someone with a booth, as a gamer, yes, Gen Con is awesome. Although I think uh, Origins is more my speed because it's more of a gaming convention than Gen Con is now. That's that's um, actually what I've heard from other game designers and and game studios as well. Is 
like uh like evil hat doesn't go to gen con anymore and they're they're doing fine but they yeah. don't go to gen con anymore they allow ipr to sell their stuff there but they don't have a book or a booth of their own um and they enjoy going to origins and you can go up in origins and talk to a designer at their booth and not uh like you have to be cognizant that you're could be blocking some sales for them but True. but like at gen con you can't stop and talk with a designer at their booth because you will be blocking sales from them and they yeah. have to make every single dollar just to break yeah. even and, whereas and at it's origins it's a lot easier yeah it's not fun it's not fun when you wake up that thursday and you have a calculation of how much you need to make per day <laughs> yeah you're like, okay, we need to make like, you know, $500 on Thursday. We need to do $2,000, you know, on Friday. We need to do, you know, 3000 on sun, uh, Saturday. And Sunday, we got to figure out how to get all this, you know, well, this everything stuff back. else back. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, and it, trust me, it is not fun. But the last few times that I've gone where I've not had a booth, it's great. You know, it's like, you know, I get to walk around and, you know, do stuff and talk to people and block sales. And sometimes I'll jump behind and start selling other people's games because I love games, you know, yeah. and you know, I'll know their games because I'm a fan of their games. And it's like, Hey, I know this game. I'll, you know, try to sell your game for you. And yeah, yeah. I think I, I sold games. a couple copies of Hellas for you at Gen Con one year. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> it, man. You, you, you were the one who put this uh, new edition onto the house. Uh, <laughs> that's right. You, the twenty, uh, the twenty dollar edition. <laughs> yeah, you kept me in egg noodles and uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Marie Callender pot pies. Nice. Uh, yeah, you've uh, done it for me. Turkey pot pies. The uh, the chicken mushroom is garbage. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love gaming. I love gaming, and I love talking about gaming and doing gaming. Like. I'm that guy who loves to do the pickup game. Like if you were like, let's play a game. I'm like, yeah, let's play a game. Cool. Do something. So, well, that is me. We want to thank you for being on and telling us about your, the Kickstarter. Uh, where can people find you? Ew, see, this is the one part that I'm really bad at. Um, there's caparapublishing.com. You can uh, find us there. Um, I like to tell people if you invoke my name on the internet, because I'm the egomaniac who Googles my name. So just Google my name, whatever game it is. Like if you're like Jerry Grace, Jerry D. Grayson plus Hellas, I will find you and I will pop onto whatever social media or just find me. Um, what am I on Twitter? I think it's, what the hell is my Twitter handle? I don't know, man. Hold on. I'm checking Twitter right now. It's oh, Capera underscore RPG on Twitter. Um, I'm always, um, lurking about on a lot of different, like, you know, sites. Um, I'm easy to find if, uh, uh, if people want to find me or, you know, to find the games, IPR carries, uh, my games, I carry my games. You go to Amazon, you can find my games. It's all over the place. Um, so yeah. Or just, like I said, just invoke my name in a form someplace and I will bubble up out of the ground like a little, like a uh, devil. And, uh. <laughs> Not really talk about what you probably want me to talk about because it depends on what I've been watching that day. <laughs> it might be, uh, you know, me talking about the circle on Netflix or uh, what you guys should watch if you have not watched the circle. 
Okay. It is so, it is so bad, but so entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> it is so bad. Oh, man. I'm embarrassed to watch it. I'm embarrassed to but <laughs> But you're you're encouraging other people to watch it. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> Today I finished off my um, making the cut on Amazon with uh, Heidi Klum and uh, Tim. Uh, I love watching those shows. <laughs> it, it'll show up in a role playing game someplace. But yes, that's what I do. So. Cool, cool. We'll make sure that gets into the show notes for anybody. Oh, absolutely. So, and I always hopefully I've managed to answer a question because I know that this is just going to be a mess. This is you have. You've, you've answered yeah. many, and so it's, it's good. Um, so, yeah, he- head on over to Kickstarter if uh, Godsend Agenda is up your alley. And uh, yes. right now, as of recording, there's 20 days left. But uh, we'll yes. try and get this out pretty soon, so you'll still be able to get, go and get it. Um, yes. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have feedback, we love feedback. You can send it to us at podcast at layerofsecrets.com or via Twitter at Layer of Secrets. We stream live on Twitch if you want to get your fix early and unedited, uh, just as this is going out. Uh, we are Layer of Secrets, one word over there. You can also visit layerofsecrets.com and leave us some feedback, topic ideas, or your own thoughts on what we've talked about. Uh, in fact, we did have a listener point out that some of our uh, several of our shows had had some audio issues, which we've now fixed. So uh, thank you very much. And so please send us that feedback. Thank you and have a good day.